0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and I've got a really cool guest for you today, Chase McHugh from the Hard Rock Hotel. Chase acquires and manages all of the Hard Rock memorabilia, the huge archive that they have amassed. He oversees the team that decides which Hard Rock hotels and restaurants feature which pieces of memorabilia. He's got great stories about some of the cool things the Hard Rock has from artists like The Beatles, The Stones, Zeppelin, Michael Jackson, Elvis, Queen, Billy Eilish, Post Malone, and even me, Uh, My light-up jacket is now in the Hard Rock Tampa Hotel, so go check that out and take a picture with it and post it. He's sharing some of his favorite items as well, some of the strangest things in the Hard Rock vault, and even giving us a peek at some of the big things Hard Rock has planned in the upcoming year. And yes, that includes returning to Las Vegas with a really cool interactive experience for fans. It's a fascinating music history conversation We'll get into it with Chase in just a minute. But first, a quick reminder, there's still a few cabins left for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. The four-leaf clover at chrisjerichocruise.com. We set sail February 2nd from Miami to Great Stirrup K. Come hang with me and a pretty stacked lineup of talent. Basically, uh, almost all of the AEW roster is going to be on the ship. We're going to determine the first-ever Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion. We got comedy. We got music. Fozzie's doing three shows. I'll be doing live podcasts. Dave Schrader of the Paranormal 60 will be hosting some live Paranormal experiences and stories. It's a great time. Go look at the entire list of talent at chrisjerichocruise.com and book your cabin now. Speaking of music, thanks to everyone who came up to rock with Fozzie in Australia last week. We had an amazing time. It was our biggest headlining tour ever in Australia, and we look forward to going back very, very soon. And Fozzie is sitting the road again uh, in the States in March. Fozzerock.com for all those details. All right, let's keep the music going. Chase McHugh from the Hard Rock Hotel Right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. All right, so I just came back from the UK, had a multitude of adventures. Uh, but one of the coolest ones was staying at my favorite hotel in the world, the Hard Rock Hotel in London, and getting to donate uh, the original Chris Jericho light-up jacket to the uh, Hard Rock coffers museums i mean chase McHugh is here and you're kind of in charge of accruing all of these items is that what your number one job is it's among them yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, I acquire memorabilia on behalf of hard rock
1: international um in our parent company the seminole tribe of florida yeah among other things i oversee the team that handles the collection so it's a team of museum professionals that track metadata and condition reporting and stabilized pieces uh and then the team that installs memorabilia as well in all of our venues so that could be hard rock hotels like london hard rock cafes hard rock uh casinos standalone rock shops which are our retail venues um and then events like uh the hyde park bst festival
0: so so when we'll talk about that but how many actual locations i guess you'd say are there around the world for Hard Rock Hotels and cafes kind of combined? Uh, Right now, I think it's
1: 263. Wow. Uh, Excuse me, it might be 264. We just uh, uh, today actually opened Hard Rock Hotel in Marbella in Spain.
0: Okay, well, there you go. You got to be exact. Okay, 264. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How many items of memorabilia on the average would you say would be in each location? Oh, wow. I mean, it really varies because, I mean,
1: the diversity of the spaces. Average, probably we'd say maybe 150 individual memorabilia pieces, but it goes up. I mean, some of the venues have a thousand pieces, you know, some of the larger venues.
0: So you're dealing with anywhere from 40 to 50,000 pieces of memorabilia from, you know, rock and roll history, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, up until right now in 2022, kind of populating and being displayed throughout the hotels and, and, and casinos, et cetera.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we've got a massive spread in demographic because our guests range from, you know, eight years old and, you know, even younger than that to 80 years old. And we're trying to capture the imagination and the interest from a musical standpoint of all of those different people, you know, in different cultures as well. Right. So it's world music. It goes mm-hmm. beyond just the Western music that we're familiar with. So I try and stay up to date on, you know, memorabilia that will be relevant in markets in Asia, relevant in markets in Latin America brazil portuguese speaking world and a lot of times there's a lot of crossover anyway because so many of those places are just familiar with the biggest names in western music anyway Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean it's a really interesting endeavor and in the total collection just to your point it's 86,200 and a few pieces of memorabilia and that's the that's the full collection worldwide so is the full collection on display like is every piece on display somewhere Uh, No, we have an archive. So um, I I actually work out of our our main archival facility in in Hollywood, Florida. And so we've got, uh, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 40,000 pieces that are not currently on display. So a little less than half. It's a number of reasons. One, it allows us strategically an opportunity to grow, which we're doing as a company. Mm -hmm. You know, and in addition to that, it's, you know, there's memorabilia that may be from local artists in some of the venues that, that we've had throughout the years, throughout our 50-year existence that are pieces of memorabilia from local artists that have made donations to those venues. And they're very hyper-relevant to a local market, but maybe not necessarily to any other market. So unless we reopen in some of those areas, that memorabilia is just added to the permanent collection and we wait for an opportunity to put it back out.
0: I'm envisioning a giant warehouse like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you just keep every single bit of of extra memorabilia in big giant crates. I mean, it's basically exactly that. <laughs> We've actually had a couple
1: of sort of documentary crews that are pitching the idea of a a biography a film documentary kind of situation and like every single one of them that's come through they're like this feels like raiders of the lost Ark. oh yeah <laughs> you owe us a visit here actually you know especially now
0: well absolutely it's so close now yeah now i'm part of the uh, memorabilia family so to speak that's right uh you mentioned the hard rock has been in existence for 50 years i know in 1971 i think is when it started exactly are there pieces in this collection that have been in the system for that long Not that long, because we actually,
1: this this company didn't start out as a a music memorabilia brand. I mean, we're a restaurant brand, first and foremost, was was how this company started. Gotcha. And it was just sort of Americana-themed. The venue on Old Park Lane is the first hard rock cafe in London. Over time, eventually, one of our regular guests was Eric Clapton, who donated a Red Fender lead, too. And that was the first piece of memorabilia. A Red Fender, you said? Yeah, it's a Red Fender lead too. Yep. Gotcha. And it's actually still there on display in the Hard Rock Cafe in London. And then uh, it, it, within a matter of weeks, a, a package arrived at the door, you know, addressed to one of our founders. And uh, it, it was a guitar. It was a, a black Les Paul. And it said, Mine's as good as his. Put it up there too. Um, and that was from Pete Townsend. <laughs> Wow. And so both of those guitars are are still on display in Hard Rock. And and from there, obviously, the the collection has ballooned and it's turned into a a massive part of our identity. That's the origin story.
0: So how do you decide who will donate pieces? I mean, do people volunteer? Because I'm just thinking of the Hard Rock Hotel in London because I was just there. I mean, in the lobby alone, there is an amazing Paul Stanley feathered cloak probably from about seventy nine, and right beside that, I think there's a Freddie Mercury outfit, and there's a Lady Gaga, and there's all of this different stuff right next to each other. So, like you said, it's all different eras, but just tremendous looking looking
1: pieces. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the decision making, it'll be it's kind of multifaceted. London's a music city, you know, so many artists had their sort of the birth of their careers and the launching of their musical careers start in that city, you know, and so it's an opportunity for us to showcase memorabilia that may be from artists that performed there, had special affinities for a city or a market that we're in, or it could be as simple as it could be a story that tells like through the decades, pop through the decades, or metal through the decades, progression of punk music through the decades, that kind of thing. Gotcha. It's always a story though. That's the important part is that it's always telling one big cohesive story. How do you mean by that? Uh, you know, in terms of as you walk through an area, everything will be related to one
0: another. So it may be an a, really? you know, artists; They're all pop artists. Yeah. So all pop artists are, or would be lumped together, all rock, all country, whatever it may be. Yeah, it could be.
1: Or, or it's all just outfits, costumes, guitars, instruments that are all from performances in that city. That sort of story. A local story or a, a
0: genre story. Or really any story as they relate to one another. So we talked about the first couple of pieces that came in with, with Clapton and Townsend. And as the hard rock starts becoming more of a thing, like we mentioned, there's a 50 year history. So if it's the seventies or eighties, it's typical show business. When you reach out to somebody, well, who else has donated? And I'm sure the more heavy hitters you had, the more donations came in. Did people have to canvas for this or were artists uh, volunteering? Is it a combination of the two?
2: It's definitely a combination
1: of the two. I mean, it's not, you know, It's a conversation and it's an opportunity to say, you know, you know, we're honoring the legacies of, uh, you know, the most important moments in music history, you know. And, And so a little bit of that to say, you know, you're a part of that. Are you interested in having anything from your career and your legacy become part of this sort of living collection of music history? And then beyond that, you know, there's opportunities, you know, some of the bigger artists have their own objectives and goals so there may be philanthropy that's involved with it it gives us an opportunity you know which is also very important to us as a company we're an organization and service is a big part of what we do we have a, a set of mottos and one of them is what love all serve all and we focus on those things those have been with us since our founding. and so an opportunity to make a contribution to an artist's philanthropy in exchange for memorabilia is always really compelling. So we've done a fair bit of that with with some major recording artists.
0: Oh wow. So you donate money to a charity of their choice and in return they send you some some swag. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And it may be broader
1: partnerships. We did this with Rihanna, had a partnership with Shakira and Juanes, Steve Aoki. So again, you know, crossing multiple genres mm-hmm. and uh most recently with Maluma, you know, Colombian artist this is massive on the world scale, especially
0: down here. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline is perfect for a plane i can sit there on a flight and work on my espanol so don't put off learning that language there's no better time than right now to get started what are some of the kind of the more more valuable pieces that are in the system? I mean, it's the usual suspects that you would expect.
1: So pieces from the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Elvis Presley.
0: So what kind of stuff would you have from the Beatles, for example? Uh, Beatles adjacent. We have the original doors from
1: EMI Abbey Road Studios. So the studio doors, wow. um, which is always a, just an interesting piece for, for Beatles fans. Um, We have the jacket that John Lennon was wearing on the cover of Rubber Soul. Uh Several pairs of his granny glasses, as they're so lovingly called. Yeah. (laughs) National Health Service distributed (laughs) free glasses. (laughs) Right. We've got, um, you know, George Harrison's slide guitar. This is from his solo career, but the slide guitar um, from Is This Love. Hmm. We've got one of Ringo's kit's from when he was playing with Rory Storm. And actually to that point, oh, wow. we have two hand-painted posters from the Beatles residency when they were performing at the Kaiser Keller, which was 1959 in Hamburg, Germany. And they were they were actually the opening act. They were living in the basement of Kaiser Keller. They were o- the opening act for Rory Storm His Hurricane. Wow. So we have those hand-painted posters. There's two in the world, and Hard Rock owns both of them. To the Stones, I mean, we could go on and on about individual pieces forever, but we've got the 58 Les Paul that McTaylor owned, which was the guitar Keith Richards played at the Altamont Free Show, several of Bill Wyman's basses, the first Olympic bass from John Entwistle from The Who. You know, it's heavy. You got to come down here and, and see it. It's, there's nothing like it. The,
0: the whole vibe of the hotel, I just was in the one in, in, in Cabo San Lucas, and there is one just down here in, in Tampa as well. But anyone that you go to, it's a lot of fun just to go walk around and see kind of the, almost the randomness of what's in there. I mean, it really is a museum. That's exactly what the Hard Rock is, a museum for all these places. So when an artist donates, for example, like, like, like let's talk about the piece that, that I gave you. How did you decide, yeah. Chase, that, okay, Chris Jericho's, I don't know, name value or whatever it is, is is worthy of being in this hotel? And it could be Jericho, it could be fricking McTaylor, whoever it is. Like, How do you decide, like, having the relationship with the Hard Rock Hotel was important, but it's not just you're not just going to grab something of mine just because I'm a nice guy or whatever. Like, what's kind of the criteria? You know,
1: sometimes it's not for me to decide. It's an honor for us to be able to showcase memorabilia from artists that kind of think that we're worthy of it, to be fair. Mm -hmm. As much as it is, you know, an honor for you to be able to donate that jacket to the Hard Rock Collection and for us to be able to put it on display, you know, it's very cool for, for me to think that Hard rock is this place that's on a pedestal for so many people in the music industry. And so many people realize that they've made it once they get to go see something of theirs on one of our walls. So that's not lost on I me. And you know, one of the things that I try and reinforce on people when we talk about our memorabilia collection is every single artist, whether they have six fans or they have six million or 600 million fans, has one biggest fan on the planet and it's the only artist and band that they listen to, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: So in terms of donated memorabilia, um, it's all relevant as far as I'm concerned. But that does put on a different level. It's interesting because, you know, I I do a lot of different things and I'll post a picture of it and you get different responses. And I had a lot of people saying, well, you know, you've made it now when you have this jacket donated to the hard rock and there is a level of prestige to know you were included in that.
1: There definitely is. And,
0: and, you know, there are so many interesting
1: stories through the years of people telling us, like, I can't believe that my guitar's up there now. Or, you know, Divinity Rocks, who plays bass for Beyonce, wrote on one of the basses that we were able to purchase from her a few years ago. I went from working at the Hard Rock Cafe in Atlanta to having my bass hanging on the wall, which, how surreal must that be? Yeah. You know, but in terms of the jacket that you donated to us, it's an amazing piece of, of history in a wrestling career. For someone who's a major rock star now, mm-hmm. I, I just saw that you posted you you got your five hundred thousand award for Judas,
0: yeah, a couple of days ago,
1: I think. So congrats on that.
0: Thank you, thank you. And like I said, that kind of all ties in with this prestige of of being in the hard rock. You know, it's like well, he's a wrestler, but he also has a gold record, so there is a place for that. Absolutely. Um, and it was interesting too because the jacket obviously is a light up jacket, and you said that you can hardwire it so that it will be lit up forever the whole time. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Definitely. I mean, as you know, if something has built in electronics, you know, we want to make sure that it stays lit.
0: Have you had something like that before with built in electronics? Yeah. I'm trying to think we did something
1: recently. I think that it might be in um, our venue in Gary, Indiana. Hmm. How do I do it? Like fiber optics all through the body of a guitar that has this whole long snake of cabling for the fiber optics that came out of it. Oh, gotcha. That Tommy Shaw from Styx played. And it's unbelievable. And the whole thing lights up and sort of circulates through it. So we have that lit. I guess, I was trying to check and see which venue it was because I didn't want to get it wrong. But I'm pretty sure it's Northern Indiana. Gary. So how do you decide which pieces go where? Good question. And then, so it goes back to the story. It goes back to um, maybe it's from uh, where an artist's from hard rock venues that are across 60 plus countries and 260 venues, there's kind of a place for everyone. You and I sort of had a conversation like what are, you know, some of your favorite places to visit or places that are near and dear to your heart. Um, that's always interesting where there can be a personal tie and to be able to say, you know, this is somewhere that, you know, Jericho likes to vacation or, or it could just be down to, um, a marquee piece of memorabilia for something that's very interesting in a venue that we're opening that might be a major market. Mm -hmm. Vegas is a future market that we're returning to that. I know a lot of people are very excited about, you know, we've we've been out of that market since 2019 or or early 2020, you know, so we're super excited about that as well. That presents a huge amount of opportunities for us from a brand and entertainment standpoint and memorabilia, you know, the options are really limitless. We're talking about some very, very cool interactive opportunities for the storytelling for memorabilia there. You you know, things that you see at a lot of museums, but, you know, taking it on a much grander scale so that people can engage with the history and the music memorabilia.
0: So you actually, what you're saying is like some people will donate an item and other ones you have to, to buy.
1: There's some of that for sure. Gotcha. There are direct purchases. Hard Rock through VME attend auctions, purchasing memorabilia directly. Oh, really? Yep. Direct purchases from the artists themselves, they may be um, donations from people such as yourself and other artists that we've worked with. The philanthropy that we spoke about, which is just making a philanthropic contribution on behalf of an artist, and then memorabilia comes back. And then through brand partnerships in general. So there may be performances from artists. Those are still kind of donations, but it'll be part of the discussion in, in booking artists that play in some of our venues.
0: So what are some of the coolest pieces that you've actually acquired? Uh, There was a light-up jacket that we got in London a few weeks ago. It was pretty cool. (laughs) No, that was a lot
1: of fun. There have been a couple that have been pretty special. I've been on the hunt for a lot of country music memorabilia because we're opening a venue in Bristol, Virginia. So that's the Mm. birthplace of country music. We want to really honor country music artists there. So I got a 1960 Corvette that used to belong to Faith Hill which is pretty pretty exciting. It's a cool car and it's a cool story. It was a gift to her. from I I think I told you when I, when we were in town about um, Kirk Hammett's Ouija original Ouija guitar, that was his main recording guitar through the nineties. That was a a special just because I'm a Metallica fan, first and foremost, I'm a music fan. So being able to interact with and have an opportunity to, um, you know, acquire memorabilia from things that are, special to me personally as a lot of fun Mm -hmm. so that was a really good one and then other you know more contemporary things being able to bring in the first pieces of memorabilia from billy eilish or the first pieces from post malone into the collection is also special for us as a brand and for me personally because again that's reaching a much broader audience um, and an audience that may not necessarily be big fans of hard rock to begin with
0: do you um have personal experiences with these artists like are you calling kirk and saying hey kirk i want to get this ouija board guitar from you or no not necessarily
1: i mean there's some of that you know or relationships with management you know but in turn that particular guitar was an auction purchase gotcha it had gone to a fan a number of years ago named dan and and it's funny because kirk wrote like the whole legacy of the guitar basically what we in the business would call the provenance the the letter of authenticity is scrawled on the back of that guitar in, in gold Sharpie. <laughs> and it says to Dan, or it's like exit Ouija, enter Dan, which is kind of a cool story. Like, yeah, no, in terms of, you know, the major artists. Yeah. We absolutely try and maintain those relationships with them and people stay busy. So obviously it's, it's tricky to coordinate and work out the details unless they happen to be performing down here. And then a lot of times it's come visit us at the vault. We'll have a conversation and then, you know, in a lot of instances, they'll leave something with us,
0: which is cool. Because you mentioned there's a lot of performances in the Hard Rock Hotels and some pretty heavy hitters. There have been. We've been really fortunate in the last few years.
1: One, because everybody's back on tour. Right. (laughs) I'm so thankful for that on a personal level. But, you know, as a business, it's been very cool to be able to see artists like The Who and The Rolling Stones and Metallica and Post Malone and
0: Upcoming, we've got Green Day, and they're playing very small venues, right? Or where they, what kind of room are they playing? They're playing Hard Rock
1: Live in Hollywood, Florida. uh, Gotcha. I think it's fifty-two hundred cap. It's it's a small room.
0: I was wondering about this because, like, the Stones played the, for example, the last gig of their U.S. tour. So is that tied in? Do they have a connection with the Hard Rock? Is that why? Is that why they go there? A bit of both, yeah, a bit
1: of both. I don't know if it's through the partnership with um, AEG with their Agent, but uh, you know, I don't really work on the entertainment side. I I mean, I work adjacent to them, and I obviously we we work very closely, hand in hand, in terms of you know how can we support one another with memorabilia. Maybe this artist wants to come and see the memorabilia, and then we interact that way. Or uh, you know, we're working on a booking. You know, what memorabilia do we have from these artists that that might compel them to want to play? If the, if it's up between you know us and another venue, I, I mean I, that's complicated. It's not something that necessarily I work on day to day.
0: But it is. I mean, yeah, the the Stones played their their last <laughs> U.S. tour date here. But you even mentioned that, like the smaller one in London, the cafe that Elton John had a show there. That's in front of five hundred people, four hundred people. That was really special.
1: Yeah, that was really special. We we had a private concert for some of our VIP guests and. El- Sir Elton John played four-song set in our Hard Rock Cafe in London. And talk about the – because you also have a rooftop gig as well. Talk about that one. Well, I, I mean, we had Kingfish play on the roof. That was that was a special one-off thing. I don't even know if that's been announced yet. That was all uh, – Kingfish Ingram played for the, the Hendrix. Got you from the roof. Yeah, right. Because the the Cumberland – or the Hard Rock Hotel in London, formerly the Cumberland Hotel, was the last – listed residents of Jimi hendrix so the hendrix estate is working on you know we have a really good relationship with them in partnership through the hotel there they just unveiled a plaque that it was his last known residence
0: no the reason why i brought it up is i thought you mentioned that that the kingfish had done that but i thought you you were trying to see if you could get mccartney to go play on the roof too i mean look anybody that wants to do it i think we could probably (laughs) pull it off we've at least set
1: the precedent for it Maybe we can get Fozzie to play up there. (laughs) On the roof. There you go. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah.
0: You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho code jericho to save 20 percent. terms and conditions apply see site for details when you mentioned that you know somebody wants to come check out the memorabilia have you had to give any tours to artists of of some of these great things yeah i mean i wouldn't say that i've had to we've been fortunate
1: enough to have a lot of very interesting cool people from a, a massively diverse background come through and tour the memorabilia vault and um you know i think it leaves a lasting impression
0: who's who's come to check it out
1: man we've had so many wesley snipes came through one time that was really fun yeah it was interesting because he was like in the bad music video so we talked about michael jackson for a while and sort of good that. call yeah which was which was cool we've had um john mulaney the comedian um and his partner olivia munn came through which was a lot of fun the guys from uh mammoth wvh wolfgang van halen's band came through and that was an awful lot of fun. John Rich from Big and Rich. Mm-hmm. I know John, yeah. Uh, the Jacksons, Tito and Marlon Jermaine were here. So there's quite a few people coming through. It's been quite a few, yeah, yeah. Um, Lance Bass from NSYNC, the guys from the band Nightly, Restless Road. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a few. Those are the ones I can think of because they've been relatively recent. But we've got a little guest book, like a guitar that they sign on their way out.
0: Is it harder to get stuff from, from artists that have passed away? Like you just mentioned the Jacksons, you mentioned Wolfgang, you know, do you have Michael Jackson pieces? Do you have Eddie Van Halen items in, in the collection?
1: We do. Yeah. I mean, we're, Michael Jackson is, is one of the best represented artists in the collection in terms of pop music. Really? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, so through the years we've been really fortunate to have a lot of really special memorabilia in the collection from Michael Jackson. Like we've got the original beaded jacket. Wow. That's on display in the Northern Indiana. Um, Gary, Indiana is the Jackson's um, where the Jackson's grew up. So there's a lot of Jackson's memorabilia there. And the whole story is based around the Jackson's and how their origin story started out. The guitar that Tito was playing, you know, when his dad found out that he could play because he accidentally broke a string. So that's the storyline of that venue. So, I mean, there's quite a bit of Jackson's memorabilia, Michael Jackson in particular. But then, you know, looking at the Van Halen camp is really the same thing. They've been very, very good partners with Hard Rock for a very long time. And so we've been fortunate, you know, to acquire a lot of memorabilia directly from Eddie Van Halen's camp throughout the years. And, And it ranges from... Lots of his prototype guitars and amps touring amps and equipment, um, stage backdrops, props, and uh, his two thousand and thirteen Lamborghini Gallardos here too.
0: So what do you do with the cars? You mentioned the Faith Hill car, you mentioned this the Eddies car like i'm I'm just thinking of like you know the London hard Rock and some of the other ones like do you put it in the middle of the lobby or, or are you stacking it against the wall, or what are you doing with the, with the automobiles?
1: Yeah, I mean it can be you know in terms of a car because it's so big and the footprint is is so much larger it, we kind of have to be very intentional about the design in terms of planning the space to house a car one you've got to be able to create a structural support that's going to hold it because you want to give it some elevation and right. make it a focal point we've put cars above bars in the past we have a cadillac that's above the bar in the Orlando Hard Rock Cafe and it's always impressive, put it that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is there uh, any artists that you're trying to get that have been harder? They won't they won't give it up? Or, or you had to solicit over and over again before they finally did? I mean, there are a lot of artists that I'm definitely
1: keen to get memorabilia from. There, Like, everybody's constantly... like, It's funny because we were talking about the British Summertime Festival, which was the acronym BST, and people were constantly asking me about BTS, the <laughs> Korean band after that. I'm like, listen, I'm working on it. It needs to happen. It's a pressure point. I feel like that's one area that we absolutely need to expand the collection. So far, no dice, but maybe they'll see Talk as Jericho and we can have a conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe
0: they're the big fans. It's amazing how massive they are. I mean, they're Huge. talking multiple days in stadiums in the States. Yep, absolutely. that,
1: that may be mostly down to TikTok. I don't know. You know, obviously culture is is crazy now you know, things become massively, massively popular and it feels like it's overnight, but they seem like they've got this very global reach in a way that it used to, you would think of sort of like the 90s Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, they've got that mojo to them too.
0: Sure. You got a great Harry Styles jacket in the, in the Hard Rock London, speaking of that. So it's cool to see like the Harry Styles next to Elvis.
1: Right. And these guys that are, you know, Carrying on that legacy in a lot of ways, like very stylish, like cool, suave guys, you know, that have that rock star, king of rock and roll, king of pop energy to them. It's different because things feel so temporary, you know, in today's landscape. Right. You're always wondering who's going to have that lasting impact in a legacy like Elvis or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. When candidly, like in those days, your scope of what you could see was so much smaller. Now, you know, carrying around a phone and you can see, you know, performances on YouTube from all over the world in any given time. It's like your attention span is so much shorter. But they're I mean, they're doing it.
0: Well, that's the thing, too, is, you know, you want to get items that are going to have some longevity because sometimes artists come and go and they get so huge and they, you know, they disappear. And you might have this great piece. But then I guess it's just becomes more of like a novelty maybe than anything.
1: It can happen. It's always a balance. Because we want to be able to represent through our memorabilia collection, the artists that are the biggest artists in the world right now, right? Um, in addition to the artists that were the biggest artists in the world 10 years ago. And that's still an interesting story, you know, because people can always do the remember when thing. Yeah, sure. Remember when Chumbawamba had the biggest hit on the planet? Like, Bill? <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Okay, let's tell that
0: story. Here's Chumbawamba's guitar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You keep mentioning stories. Uh, that's very that's that's very interesting to me. So you really are interested in, in the items having some kind of a story behind it. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost is, you know,
1: people are always asking about, you know, I, I met Keith Richards in the airport lounge or something like that. That's a very extreme example. But, you know, I got him to sign the napkin, which is such a cool thing. And it's very personal. And the story is very cool to the person that got that signature because they were there for it.
0: Right. But then they'll say,
1: oh, what do you think it's worth? Well, it's not necessarily worth a tremendous amount of money, but the story is what makes it special. Right. If you can find a story that's like that, but it's something that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of people remember this story, like say it's from a music video, it's so interesting to be able to talk about that point in time and how it relates to other things that were happening in music and the landscape at that time. You know, we as a brand and me, you know, as a as a fan of music, I want to emphasize the educational component of what we can do with a collection this big. You know, how, how can we teach, you know, someone who knows nothing about music something? And how can we teach someone who knows absolutely everything about music? Something? Right.
2: Like that's the most difficult part. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic.
0: How about stuff like song lyrics, for example, like, you know, written words on a on a page? Is that something that, that you try and find a lot of or do have a lot of?
1: We do. Yeah. And, and that's something that speaks to everybody because it's so personal. It's the moment, you know, that you're putting pen to paper and, and writing the lyrics to a song. Like, right. We have John Lennon's Imagine lyrics, lyrics that John Lennon wrote to Imagine. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's one of the most important pieces of art that's ever been created and the lyrics to that song a set of lyrics to that song are on display in the hard rock hotel and casino in atlantic city other things that are very mundane like the other day we were there was a a birthday card i was looking through things for freddie mercury uh, you know for an event that we have coming up and it's like a birthday card that's from freddie mercury and jim hutton and it's just like have a groovy day or something it's like so mundane but it's just interesting to think about the biggest recording artists on the planet writing out Christmas cards or something like that. It was pretty cool.
0: Like I always try and keep a lot of that stuff. Like if I took notes for a famous match or something like that, like put down some ideas and I keep, I don't know what I would ever do with them, but the, I think that's one of the reasons why, like you said, imagine lyrics is so cool because who was thinking at the time when John wrote these of even keeping them? Cause back then you would write it and probably throw it away at, but somehow these survived, you know?
1: Right. Well, and it's those things are going to be important, you know, to people one day. Right, like your your notes about a match, like right, what you had for dinner the night before, or something like that. Something that's so interesting, like you know, that'll be very cool to your kids. Like I think about the lyrics to Imagine, like we're so fortunate that those exist still to this day, like because we're all kind of like, I guess, like the children of you know the Beatles in a way. And that song is kind of written for the world, and it's such a powerful message. About peace and togetherness. And it's a very, very cool piece of, of history. It's funny the things that have stood the test of time and have existed and still exist and made it, you know,
0: because a sheet of paper is almost as fragile as it gets. Like, sure. How do you encase these items? Obviously, you want to be able to see them, but you also want to protect them so somebody doesn't smash it with a fist and steal it. If it comes to paper, Do you have to temper the air so that it doesn't disintegrate? Like you said, like kind of, how does that all work? We've got to maintain the
1: appropriate climate for sure. But, you know, we use all of the UV protection that we possibly can keep the room as minimally lit by actual UV light as possible. Hmm. And then just observe, right? Observance is the most important thing. Keep an eye and track any degradation of something that, that might be fading and catch it as early as possible and then remove it so that it can, we talk about rest, you know, things need to be able to rest, you know, in the collections world, so.
0: Has anybody ever tried to steal something, like I said, a guitar behind a glass case and try and break the glass? Does that happen at all? Uh, I don't know that it's that extreme, but yeah, I mean, there's,
1: there's plenty of things, you know, snatch and grab type of attempts, you know, we've been really fortunate, as, you know, as a collection that's so broad and, and in so many places around the world, that we haven't, you know, really had to deal with that too
0: much. Is the glass thicker than normal or is it just normal window pane? No, it's. Just, I mean, it's it's laminated, tempered glass, but we have
1: a lot of cameras, I guess. that's. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just remember when we stayed at Planet Hollywood back when that was a thing in Vegas and they had schwarzenegger's terminator leather suit and my friends and i were staying in the suite we got super loaded we're like we want to wear the suit <laughs> yeah throwing chairs at it it's just bouncing off it's like this bulletproof glass type <laughs> stuff you can't get in there
1: <laughs> but that's it it's like you know we've got a bar we've got patrons that are coming out all loaded they're like i want that guitar you know, yeah i don't know if that's how it goes down exactly but you
0: know. <laughs> is there a competition between For example, we mentioned just how unique these Imagine lyrics are. Is this something that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would also try and be getting? Is there a little bit of rivalry between hard rock and Rock Hall of Fame in in getting some of these important pieces? On the acquisitions front, definitely,
1: you know, because there's only one, right? So any institution that does what we do, and obviously we do virtually identical things to the Rock Hall, but we actually have a really good partnership with them. You know, we've, we've loaned memorabilia with, with the Rock Hall in the past. Oh, wow. And in partnership with the Rock Hall and the Met, Jack Bruce's bass um, from Strange Brew hmm. was on loan to the Met and the Rock Hall recently. So, no, I mean, there's not, you know, I think that it's, we all, in terms of, you know, the storytelling, back to that again, but in terms of the storytelling, the history of music, because that's what we both do, as what we all do, you know, in Country Music Hall of Fame as well, you know, the Memphis Rocket Soul Museum, Memphis Music Hall of Fame, all of these institutions and Hard Rock International swim in the same pool. Mm-hmm. And so it's, we want to be able to tell the same stories. And sometimes it, Hard Rock being the largest collection of music memorabilia in the world is often sort of tapped to, to contribute to, you know, the broader stories and strengthening the storylines that they're working.
0: on. So that's great. So what you're saying is if there's a, Eric Clapton exhibition at the Rock Hall of Fame, and they ask you to, to borrow that guitar, you'll lend it out to them to use? I mean, we'd certainly entertain it.
1: Gotcha. You know, that piece being so special to us in particular may not necessarily have the same significance to them. In the interest of putting the Hard Rock brand as a memorabilia collection, as an entertainment company, in the face of a broader audience through either the Rock Hall or other institutions, is certainly something
0: that we so we talked a few times about, about uh, BST, which was br- not not BTS, but BST, British Summertime. <laughs> we confused it a lot for a while. <laughs> but that's where, obviously, uh, earlier in the day, I, I met you, gave you the jacket. And then we met again at the Stones gig. at kind of the hard rock club area, whatever you would call that. So it was really kind of cool. But now, was Hard Rock sponsoring British Summertime? Yep. And what exactly is British Summertime? Because it was this huge gig in Hyde Park. And it was amazing.
1: It was, yeah. British Summertime was a series of uh, festival performances. So they were individual day performances, not like, you know, what you'd think of as like a Glastonbury or Austin City Limits or Bonnaroo. It was individual evenings with a lot of performers. It was Adele one night. It was the Stones one night. Elton John did a night. The Eagles did a night. It was just a very cool thing. Pearl Jam did a couple of nights. Duran Duran. And then very cool supporting acts like the Pixies and kingfish yeah. kingfish played two sets on the hard rock rising stage it was killer you and i saw that for a little while that was really really cool amazing yeah but yeah we were we were a sponsor on the event and so we had a, a pop-up hard rock cafe and we able to put a small collection of memorabilia from the artists that were performing at the event on display there and serve some amazing food and beverage it was awesome and then we had a we had a hospitality suite as well That was the, the area that we were able to to watch the Rolling Stones from and, um, you know, rock out. That was fun.
0: It was funny because you were in charge of the of the wristbands and there was only so many. And it's like <laughs> Kingfish is like, I go, where are you watching the show? He's like, oh, I'm just behind the stage. I said, well, I, I can try and get you over here to, to the hard rock, you know, area. And so it was going to be just him and his manager. But then he came with this whole band and I could see each time you're like, you're, you're trying to be cool, but I've only got so many bands here, guys. it's always one of those things that's such a difficult balancing
1: act right you know music is such a a huge part of what we do we want to absolutely entertain the artists as much as we can so it was like oh how are we going to work this out but you know it was so much fun and they were so cool about it It super gracious you know we were able to hang out with kingfish and his band a little bit later that afternoon and evening which was really very cool to meet them and and get to know them a little bit better
0: So does the hard rock, we've talked about this a few times when you mentioned the the venue in Hollywood, and now we're talking about the Hyde Park gig. Does hard rock sponsor a lot of tours, whole tours by bands, or is it more just kind of these special moments, special gigs? Yeah, not necessarily
1: whole tours. Um, We have, I mean, we actually used to, that that festival in in Hyde Park for a period of time was being called Hard Rock Calling. Oh. And so it was a hard rock festival, and we were the title sponsor, and we handled all the hospitality, F&B, and everything. This was a little bit different, but I think we'll probably be back. I think we'll be involved, maybe more involved next year in the years to come. You know, so I guess stay tuned on that. But um, our venues here in the U.S. and abroad give us a really distinct advantage to, you know, some of the one-off venues that are not necessarily owned. you know, say Live Nation owns venues, right? Live Nation can route their own tours through all Live Nation venues but we have this advantage now as you know Hard Rock and Hard Rock Lives, Hard Rock Casinos, Hard Rock Hotels and Hard Rock Cafes which are their own small venues in their own way to offer the opportunity to artists to perform in multiple venues and multiple formats kind of throughout the country and throughout the world. So we don't necessarily sponsor the tours but in terms of booking we we may have an advantage and our entertainment team works that into The discussion certainly to say, you know, for for the artists where it makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can get you to play Atlantic City, we can get you to play Tampa, we can get you to play Hollywood. Then we can go on and get you to play Sacramento. You know, maybe it's a little bit
0: more compelling from everybody's perspective, and and that gives us an advantage. Last few questions for you. I mean, there's such a great vibe at the Hard Rock, like we said, as far as just the music that's played, the videos that are shown. There's a lot of retro. There's a lot of uh, modern, but it all really connects and fits. Is there kind of an edict for what songs we're going to play? For example, the videos that we play in the bar area, the bands that we're hiring to play, because there is a vibe to it. There's definitely a vibe to it, and it's different
1: everywhere. You know, if you go to a, you know the Hard Rock Hotel in Ibiza, it's going to be very different to the Hard Rock Hotel in London, and it, that's all by by design. So there will be market research that goes into the analytics of what is the most popular music now and what historically has been the most popular music in the venue. And then there's curated playlists for each of the markets. And it's also curated by time of day. So as you're waking up, it's music to wake up to. Mm. And throughout the afternoon, it might be pick-me-up music so that it's music to get your energy going. And then in the evenings, you've got an even... More of a, you know, vibe, a bar vibe or a dance vibe or a going out vibe. And then it calms back down later in the evening, bring everybody to back down, getting back in the hotel to, you know, get up to the rooms and chill out and have a good night's rest.
0: the the live element was it was so amazing too like the fact that we had you know for example in mexico there was a beatles tribute there was an elvis tribute there was a michael jackson tribute in london there was cover bands but all really good cover bands playing a whole multitude there was you know ones that come and just do more 70s stuff then there's ones that are doing the bruno mars type thing so is that is that something that happens in every hard rock hotel a live band playing it at night uh Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, live music is a
1: huge component of of the entertainment package for hard rock. And it's part of the reason that people like staying in a hard rock hotel or like going to a hard rock cafe to, to have dinner or lunch um, when they travel. It's, you know, it's something that they can depend on. It's something that's fun and it's interesting. You know, we have this, you know, it's probably like the coolest job title on planet Earth. But each of the venues has a vibe of manager. Who's responsible for the vibe of every venue? And those guys are really autonomous in terms of being able to book local talent, you know, to perform in those slots when there's not national or international acts to fill the stage. So there may be, you know, like you said, cover bands that are performing and they might be touring cover bands too.
0: Who's your favorite artist that you've met through the Hard Rock Hotel?
1: Man, through the Hard Rock, I think would be. I guess I don't really have a favorite. I've met so many people that are just super nice people. Right. Some of the guys that play in Little Big Town, I would consider friends. Um, I met the people that played with Miranda Lambert's band when they went on the last tour, and they're very good people. You know, I met you. I met the guys that play in Pepper. Very, very cool guys. Super down to earth. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have met very few people that I would say anything other than nice things about, which is a cool thing because it's, you know, you hear otherwise. And I've never had that. I've never had that really, you know, I guess I should not.
0: <laughs> Last question for you. What's your favorite piece of memorabilia that you've seen in any of the hard rocks or that you've accrued? Is there one that stands out? Ooh, I mean, there's a lot that's really interesting and I kind of gravitate
1: towards the things that are really bizarre. One that I've said a lot. So, you know, maybe every interview I've ever done was th- this contract between Michael Jackson and the department of fish and wildlife for California and uh, for the temporary loan of his giraffe. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. And I just, I love that that's, it, there's no other place that that would make sense other than hard rock. There's parallels to that, but it, it, the story is really interesting because it was for the filming of Peewee's big top. And, uh, and like, I guess the giraffe escaped during the filming and it's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah. The stunt stun guys had to go wrangle it, but, um, that, that's one of my favorites. Obviously that, that 58 Les Paul from Mick Taylor is an amazing piece of memorabilia. I love Primus personally. So there's a guitar from Larry Lalonde that's from the music video for Why as big brown beaver. Actually, we have the, the suits from that too, from the whole band. Oh, wow which are very cool. It's like picking a favorite kid. You're not supposed to do it. So I kind of don't. I usually just say several things. (laughs) We have Slash's Night Rod, which is a Harley with a Porsche engine on it. That's like the coolest motorcycle I've ever
0: seen. And once again, having the actual vehicles is is quite amazing. It is. Well, dude, it's great talking to you, man. And once again, great experience to be able to donate this jacket. And when you find out, it is. I'll have to go set up a little table in front of it and sell tickets to it or something. <laughs> let's let's do it. I mean, we'll definitely do that. I love it. Yeah, let me know where it's at. Where it's at, man. It's like I said, it's it's, it's a very cool uh, honor and uh, love, love, love the Hard Rock Hotel chain and I stay there as much as I possibly can because of the vibe and the vibe manager. <laughs> there you go. No doubt. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for the donation of that
1: jacket. I can't wait to get it up absolutely we'll we'll get out there and and do some event for it
0: awesome man thanks chase i appreciate it dude
1: absolutely thanks for having
0: me cheers man